Um, have you have you been encouraged by Pastor Jess this week? Yeah, me too. Yeah. yeah. I'd love for us to pray over Jess um, and thank her by praying for her and blessing her. So Jess, actually, can I call you up? And then I'm actually going to get you to stand again. <laughs> and could you just extend love, extend your hands? And uh, we're going to pray for Jess and her life, family ministry. Um, and please pray out, okay? Jesus. Jesus, we thank you so much that Jess could be with us this week. We thank you so much for the anointing that you've placed on her, the giftings, and I thank you so much for her faithfulness to what you have uh, placed on her heart and her ministry, and that she has taken the time to hone skills and be attentive to your spirit and take the time to work what you have given her. Jesus, we pray blessing over Jess. We thank you so much for what is happening um, at Journey Church. We thank you so much for this church, what you are doing what you have in store for them. Lord, I thank you for the growth that has taken place. God, we thank you so much for Jess and her entire pastoral team. Lord, we pray that you would continue to strengthen them, empower them, give them creativity to continue to do the work that you have called them to do in Calgary. Lord, we pray for further salvation in Calgary. God, I pray that those who who, uh, thought that they were unreachable, Lord, that they would come to know Jesus through the arms and through the reach um, of Jesus through your church in Calgary. God, I pray for Jess's family. Lord, thank you so much for this beautiful family, for what you have in store for them. God, we pray uh, just blessing over each and every one of them. Jess's husband and her kids, God, would you pour out your spirit on them in in their particular needs jesus as they uh as they walk out in ministry and they do life together god would you meet every single need lord we pray for um just even uh, her her work in my safe work god would you create further opportunities to speak into uh into situations that are so hazardous and and careless for lives of others and jesus would um would your heart for people and your compassion for people really um seep through that, her work with that. Um, And Lord, I pray too for her podcast. God, I thank you for the reach that has taken place. God, I thank you for her friendship and partnership with Joyce. And would you continue to expand that reach? Lord, I pray that um, through their work together, that they would show what it is to be um, Christians who disagree on things maybe, and what it is to love each other still. Jesus, I pray that they would be a great example to the Christian, to the to Christians and non-Christians alike of what it is to love people at first and then have opinions. <laughs> Jesus, we thank you so much. We thank you. Our gratitude is beyond my our words. And so we're so grateful for what you have done in and through just this week. And so, Lord, in our gratitude, we ask for heaps of blessing over her heaps of blessing, um, that she would be uh, strengthened for the conference that's coming up next, the retreat that's coming up next. Would you strengthen her body, um, to continue to, to go? Would you get her to hope safely? And, um, and Lord, I thank you for, for what you have in store. Um, God, I too pray for a greater imagination, even for Jess, as she has challenged us for a greater imagination of what you can do in and through us. God, would you do that in Jess's life as well? Expand and her imagination as to what you can do in and through her and her and her ministries and her family. So thank you, Lord. Um, we we thank just so much for the for being here, but we thank you, God, for bringing uh, for bringing this time together for her to be with us. And uh, and so, Lord, we we give it all back to you and say thank you to you. You are such a good God, and we are blessed by you and by Jess. So thank you, Jesus. Amen. Well, I have really appreciated my time here. I said to my husband on the phone last night that I have great hope for um, the leaders that God is raising up in Canada. Um, I just believe God is going to take 
many of your lives and use them around the world. Um, I don't know that um, I, I don't know that I can express to you how much I appreciate your prayers. I just think um, whenever anybody this is just for free has nothing to do. Whenever anybody says they'll pray for you, take them up on that. For the rest of your life, never be so spiritually fancy that you can't take somebody's prayers. We are all in need of intercession. We are all in need of prayers. The Bible says that we don't wage a war against flesh and blood, but of principalities and powers. And I think in an effort to make ourselves normal um, and not weird, we have taken verses like that and just gone, yeah, that was for those kinds of people. But the truth is that we are still waging war in the heavenlies. There is still a battle that is going on, and we must be aware of that battle. And the only way we fight that battle is through prayer. Which is why, let me just reiterate, if you weren't here last night, we just talked about the importance of Paul, when Paul said in, uh, to the Corinthian church, I wish that you would all pray in tongues. Part of that is that battle that we have to wage, that we are not aware of in the natural realm. The truth of it is all of us live very natural lives, right? Like most of our life, like I'm going to go with 99.9% of our life is spent in the natural realm which is why that gift of tongues is such an important gift. Uh, It means that we can connect with God in the heavenlies, even when our minds are unable to, even when you're thinking about how you're going to pay tuition for this year, right? The Lord then allows us to speak in the heavenly language. And it's really important. If you are filled with the Holy Spirit for the first time last night, I just want to encourage you to just continue to walk in that gift, to use that gift, to not be afraid of the gift, or um, I don't know if ashamed is the word, but like, if we're just honest, sometimes sometimes we just forget. Have you, have you ever been given a gift that you forgot about? So, like, my husband a couple of years ago gave me um, a neck massager. Now, I feel like this was a gift for him, actually, <laughs> that was being touted as a gift for me. But anyways, the, it's the thought that counts. So, it was this really amazing, you put your, maybe you've seen it on TV, you put your, like, arms into it, and then, like, it really, like, gives you a really good massage. And I... Um, well, for much to his sadness, I forgot about the gift. <laughs> I put it away somewhere. And then a, a friend of mine was like, oh, I want to get one of those. And I was like, oh, I have one of those. I forgot about it, though. Then I refound the gift. Some of you just need to refind the gift of the Holy Spirit, like the neck massager. Find it and use it because it will help you. And it won't just help you. It'll help people around you, too, because they got to deal with you. So, like, essentially what I'm saying to you is you're hard to deal with any way that you can ask the Lord to help you is good for all of us. I notice nobody's laughing right now. That's because you know it's true. Uh, I want to talk to you this morning uh, about, a, about the idea of a pioneering spirit. Some of my favorite things to talk to young burgeoning leaders about. If I could tell you one thing, I would tell you not to be normal. I would tell you not to go with the status quo and just not to settle for mediocrity, but to ask the Lord who is the ultimate pioneer to give you new ideas. I love the verse from Isaiah 42, 9 that says, See, the former things have come to pass and new things I declare before they spring forth. I tell them to you. And God, all throughout the Old Testament, keeps telling us that he's a God of new things, of new ideas, and generally, I've gone, I, I've pastored, well, two decades, more than two decades now with a lot of people who don't like change. And so I'm perpetually saying God is a God of change. It's, it's okay. And some of us are naturally wired to love change. And some of us are naturally wired um, to hold on to things of the past. We need both kinds of people. So this is not an indictment. If you're a person who's nostalgic and you love the past, and it's not an indictment on you. God's made you that way. It's great that you're that way. We actually, while we push into new things, we actually can't discard old things because otherwise we get into weirdness. Like, I've come up with a really great new idea. I I had some young person say this to me. They said, I have come up with a new, really good ecological idea. Instead of having the electricity on for for the PowerPoint, I know it's not called PowerPoint, whatever you call it now, the words on the screens, we could put all the songs that we're singing in a book. <laughs> Give it to everybody. And we could put the music in there too. 
so that people could go home and get good at their instruments with a book. <laughs> that's called a hymnal. <laughs> that was invented. So that's what happens when we throw out the past, okay? So we don't need to throw out the past. Um, but, but even though we're tied and we're, we're anchored to the past, God is still a God that does not negate the fact that God is a God who does new things. We talked a little bit yesterday about the heresy of sanitizing biblical characters. I, I actually think it is a heresy when we begin to read the scripture and think Elijah was categorically different than you or I because he was a prophet or the apostle Paul was different because he was an apostle or the disciples were different. And the Bible's really clear. I mean, if you read it for the very first time, you would think this is a book with really messed up people like weird, like a lot of people that you would think, I don't even want to meet you in an alley where it's even sort of dark. Like I always read that about Jacob and think, oh no, he would tie his grandma up, put her in a basement. He didn't, but like he's that kind of a person. He was like mean to his own brother. I always get worried when my kids would read, like when my kids about seven or eight, they'd start reading the Bible themselves. And I'd always pray, Lord, when they get to that story about Jacob and Esau, help them not to like, we were having lentil soup the other day. And um, my family is on a, was on a Daniel fast. And my little daughter, who's six in the car, she was like, my eight-year-old or my 13-year-old said, I am starving. I'm so starving I could eat anything. She said, well, anything? I'll give you my lentil soup if you give me all the money in your room. She's six. She is six. (laughs) These are the things that, like, the Bible is a dangerous book, right? It is a... She made a little reference to Jacob and Esau and how Jacob was God's favorite. Theology gone wrong. (laughs) Um, But... This idea that we sanitize the biblical characters is a problem. If we don't see them like ourselves, if you don't see yourself in the text, then you miss out on what God was actually trying to speak to you through the text. But to every bit of truth, there's two sides of ditch. So is there, there is the ditch of sanitizing the biblical characters, and then there's the ditch of not having those characters push us into anything. In the book of Hebrews, um, Hebrews chapter 11 is the story of faith, right? We call it the faith chapter. Anytime your pastor has done a series on faith, he will reference, he or she will reference this chapter. And um, it goes through a whole litany of people who had faith and great faith, and it's a a great chapter. Uh, Now, if we go to the heresy of sanitizing them, we go, I could never do that because these people were all like, uber spiritual people and i'm not like that but on the other side of the ditch is the i could never do this because uh i'm flawed just like these characters so uh hebrews chapter 12 i don't often read from the message but i uh, so hebrews chapter 11 is the faith chapter then we get to hebrews chapter 12 and it's sort of summing this up i don't often read from the message version but in this particular instance it says something here i want you to read hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 It says, do you see what this means? So talking about, do you see what all this faith means? All these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on, it means we better get on with it. I love that language. We better get on with it. Strip down, start running and never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed, the exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way, cross, shame, whatever, and now he's there in place of God, right alongside God. When you find yourselves flagging in your faith, go over that story again, item by item, that long litany of hostility he plowed through. That will shoot adrenaline into your souls. In this all-out match against sin, others have suffered far worse than you to say nothing of what Jesus went through, all that bloodshed. So don't feel sorry for yourselves. Or have you forgotten how good parents treat children and that God regards you as his children? My dear children, don't shrug off God's discipline, but don't be crushed by it either. We're going to stop there, and we'll come back to the text in a second. Um, This idea that 
that the people God uses always have this thing of a pioneering spirit is just true. Anytime there's a move of God, it's not because people followed the status quo. It's not because they said, you know what I'm going to do? Just like a little bit of like incremental improvement. So I'm going to take us from the hymnal LCD projectors. Okay. Anytime there's a move of God, people decide that they're going to be pioneers for God. And the language in Hebrews chapter 12, when you uh, even read the Greek is like very, it's, it's, it's very aggressive language. This is why when Eugene Peterson was able to write the paraphrase, he's writing things like, get on with it now. Come on. Like, and it really sounds like, like if we're honest, it sounds like our mom or dad. Right? Remember when you'd like Saturday and you have to do chores? I don't know. Did any of you grow up having to do chores? Like and your parents, some of you are shaking your heads. Okay. The Lord will help you. Somebody, Kim, you could give them chores now. They need chores. Everybody, everybody needs chores. Okay. So anyways, that's another anthropological study. We'll talk about it another time. But and your mom would just say this to you, get on with it. Come on now. It's like 10 o'clock in the morning. Get on with it. My son has had the job since he's been nine years old of cleaning the toilets. Because I want them to know that no matter what job they're in, it could be worse. You could be cleaning all the toilets. So anyways, and also it's like a ode to stay in school and things like this. Um, Every week, though, I'm saying to him, Jubes, get on with it. Julian, get on with it. You got to just do it. Mom, I don't want you. Just get on with it. And God says the same thing to us. Get on with it. Now, all these pioneers that blaze the way before you, it's time for you to get on with it. So what is a pioneering spirit? I want to I just look at that. What does it mean to, to be a pioneer for the Lord? I, I think the first thing that it means is it's a willingness to go where people haven't been reached. So the stats tell us, I, I know that like 20 years ago, there was this like big push into like, we need to get to the unreached people group. So maybe there's a push here that, I, that I'm unaware of, but like we've heard less of these messages in the last, I, I remember going to camps and like at least, Kim, do you remember this? Like at least two or three times in the week, they'd really talk about going to unreached people groups and I would pray as a young person every week that somehow my parents' hearts would be awakened and we would move somewhere amazing where it was going to be hard. Um, but the truth is there's still all kinds of unreached people groups, uh, not just in remote places in the earth, but unreached people groups right here in Canada. So like we don't have to look very far. You just look into Quebec and think it's one of the most unreached people groups on the planet. But then I also think we, we like to, we tend to like uh, exoticize this idea of unreached people groups. But the truth is, okay, so PUC right now has a, the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada has a vision to have 1% of the population reached. Okay, so like Pastor David Wells and I are friends. So hear this. But when like my math brain hears that and thinks, we feel good about that. We feel good about writing that on coasters and going 1%. We are going for 1%. Now, listen to me. I was a math teacher. If a student in my class came to me and said, yo, Mrs. DiSabatino, this year I taught mostly in the inner city. I'm trying to get 1% in your class. We're not even having this discussion. Like 1%? I'm like a mean mom. I'm a mean pastor. I like, okay, so I, I would say, I say to my kids, listen, if it's not 80 or above, I don't want to see the report card. So I'm that kind of mom. All my new, all my people here who are like, have parents that are like that, we're in the same team, okay? So if it's not 80, I don't, I don't care to see it. Don't bring it home to me. Think about moving somewhere else. <laughs> you chuckle, but like when Dave and I, when we pastored in the inner city, we ran, we, the Lord gave us this um, idea that we should have a way to give young people skills. And um, we had all these kids coming to our, well, actually at the time we had no kids coming to our church, but there were all these kids in our neighborhoods. Our neighborhood had 50% unemployment, I mean 50% dropout rate from high school, even though you, legally you couldn't drop out, but everybody dropped out anyways. In the summer of the gun, uh, Dave and I did a funeral at least every week for kids that were being shot gangland style and just nonsense. 
So in our little neighborhood, we thought, well, I don't know. I guess we could teach them to sing, and they kind of dance already, so we'll get them to do that. And so I, we put, like, little posters up, and I rented a room the size of half of this stage because that's all we could afford. And I thought, well, we had no kids really in the church, so there was no one to ask to come. I was pregnant at the time, so in utero my baby could come. And that's... So I thought if we got seven kids, great, then maybe we could have this cute little choir. And I don't know, I didn't... Well, as it turned out, at the end, we had hundreds of kids coming to this, and we had to rent. And it was so gross being in a small room with a lot of stinky children. You could, like, write on the wall at the end of it because there was sweat on the walls. If you've ever not been in a... just gross. Anyways, I would say to those kids, and we traveled all around and God did some incredible things and they were nominated for GMAs and they wrote songs and they've all gone on to become um, extraordinary men and women. And it's a beautiful story of God's redemption. Um, But I would tell those kids when they uh, would join uh, Rumble Kids, this thing. You can look us up on Spotify. It's an old album now, but it's kind of fun to listen to. Anyways, I would say to them, okay, so you can join, but here are the, here are the things. you got to get 80% in school unless you have a documented reason why you cannot get 80%. 80% or you're gone. And all my pastor friends were like, well, that's not very godly that you would like, what does that have to do with Jesus? Everything. Everything. Because the amount of work you put into doing so, like when you, those of you, let me just speak, this is like, let me be a mom for a few seconds. Those of you that go to classes and are like, whatever, I just want to like blaze a trail for Jesus. Who cares about Greek? Can I, can I just, everything that you do must be to the glory of God. That means that you put your best foot forward in Greek and you put your best foot forward when you get on this stage and you put your best foot forward when you're cleaning a toilet and you put your best foot forward when you work at Starbucks. That is the way of the kingdom. That is how pioneers blaze a trail. And so I'd say to these kids, you get 80% or you're kicked out. you got to sit out till you get your grades up at 80%. And you say to me, did you kick them out? Yes, I did. I had a little girl call me. Well, she's not a little girl now. She's like a woman. She's almost 30. <laughs> she's not a little girl at all, and she's like six feet tall, so she's not a little woman at all. But she called me a couple of months ago, and she said, um, she said, I, I just want to tell you, I just want to tell you that, like, she was 12 years old, her mom was a prostitute. She was a twin. And she and her twin would, like, make Molotov cock. They, they went on the Internet and figured out how to make, like, a bomb, a pipe bomb. And they would throw them into people's, like, this is not a lie. They would throw them. And, no, it was funny. They would throw them into people's, um, like, their balconies. And it would scare people. And they would laugh their heads off. And you would see them down, like, with these little dresses on, these little white dresses on. They were so cute. And so terrible. They, she also taught me how to, like, she would go to Walmart. And she really, I didn't even know you could buy guns at Walmart, but you can. And I don't know if I should even tell you this, but you could go through the, they would go through the garden center and throw the gun over top of the garden center because then you didn't have to get, like, taken by the metal detectors. And then they'd go out and retrieve the gun. So then they'd have a gun that they could shoot up in the air. These were tiny little girls, like 12 years old, doing this. Well, anyways... Uh, she said this to me she, uh, on the phone a couple of months ago. She said, I, I, I want you to know I'm using you as a reference for law school because I've been a law clerk for a couple of years and I really feel like this is what the... I'm so glad you kicked me out, though, when you did. I was like, I was getting like 40% because it reminded me that all my life matters, that every part of my life... You see, when you allow yourself to not have parts that matter, what you're telling yourself is there's parts of my life that don't matter and, and every part matters. Every part needs to be saturated by God. This was not in my notes, by the way. I don't even know why I'm talking about this right now. So, so every, every part matters. Do you want to be a pioneer for the Lord? you want to do great things for the Lord? Do the things the Lord put in front of you right now. You want to reach on... There's un, so back to my first start into math. 1% is not good enough. Our country... That's, that's like saying, great. 99% of them can go to hell then. That's, that's what we're saying. It, like facetiously and theologically, that's what we're saying. Or we're saying like, we're just not, sh- and, and by the way, like we're the largest denomination, evangelical denomination in Canada. So some of you are thinking, well, other people will take that up. They will, but I mean, and we're struggling to get to 1%. Like 1% is going to be a real struggle. 
Like, I'm worried for general conference this year. So we need, we need people like you to stand up and say, I'm going to be a pioneer. We got to reach people that are unreached. And there are people all over the world that are unreached. And there are people right here that are unreached. There are many people, listen, I, I love pastoring. I love my church. I love my neighborhood. I'm very aware, though, no matter what I do, no matter how well I preach, no matter, no matter how good the music is, a huge swath of people are never coming to my church. Never, never. Listen, I have friends that I am aware, unless God gets a hold of their life in some radical, they're never coming to my church. So there's got to be some people who wake up with a pioneering spirit and say, how, how do we do this different? How do we reach un, unsaved people? How, how do we actually go after the people that God has called us to go after? So it's reaching people that have never been reached. It's, uh, it's a willingness to do what has never been done. We've got to reach people who are not reached. We've got to be willing to do things that have never been done. Dr. Lauren Isley, a professor of anthropology uh, and a science history writer and evolutionist, concluded that the birth of modern science was mainly due to the creationist convictions of its founders. Don't let anybody tell you or make you believe that science and God are two separate things. The very reason we have modern science today is because people of God decided to get an imagination for what had never been explored before. Because all of God's, all of God's uh, kingdom was to his glory. I'm reading a really interesting book right now. If you're into books and you're into math, it's a book called Five Mathematical Equations That Changed the World. What's interesting about this book is that you see that it was a whole bunch of people who loved God, who started getting curious about the things of God. Like by the things of God, I don't mean like church services. They got interested in things like uh, astronomy and biology and physics. So I know this is a Bible college, but I do know that if we are going to have a pioneering spirit, that we've got to get curious again about the world we live in. We have to ask God, would you give us curiosity about the place that we live? Don't get stuck in, because I'll tell you five years from now, when the, the, the two slow songs, three fast songs some announcements and somebody talking for 30, like if that's all we've got, if that's the only hope we've got for it, we're just going to stay in a holding pattern of less than 1%. Yeah. We can't, I, like, I really, I, I, I said to Kim, I say no to mostly everybody who asked me to come and speak now just because I got four kids and I got a bunch of jobs. and But I always say yes to young adults. I, I like had to de- wrestle the Lord because I actually think you're the, I think that you're the hope for the church going forward. Now that's not negating if you're not a young adult, there's still hope for us too. But, but in some ways, our turn up to bat, my, like my job now, my primary job in life is to pass the baton to people like yourselves. And my hope is that you go a lot further than I've ever gone. My hope is, is that you get wild ideas that people will tell you will never be able to be done and that you'll go for it anyways and that you'll do it anyways. You'll think of things that nobody's thought of, but that is going to require that you push yourself beyond the small little ring that you're currently in. And sometimes the only way to do that is through. So let me just push you to read wide and breadth. Let me just, don't just go to the things that you're interested in. Read things that you hate. If you're not reading something that you hate or that you don't agree with, I would say that you're, you're limiting your own imagination. And then, uh, and then I think being a pioneer means a willingness to act in ways that are countercultural. So countercultural to Canadian culture, yes. And I would suggest that some of us are going to act in ways that are countercultural to the church. And I, and I say that, listen, as a pastor and a person who loves the church, who loves the local church, I, I think we need to continue to have strong ecclesia. I think we need to, but I, but I am convinced that some of you need to challenge some of the things that we've done because we can't see it. 
Um, so for the last 10 years, I've been aware that I'm getting old, partly because my teenagers tell me this and partly because my body tells me this. I played basketball in college and our, and our church had a little basketball team and I thought, oh yeah, yeah, I'm going to go out there and be like. Uh, and then after game two, I realized I'm old. I am old. And uh, I'm really aware that I need to surround myself with people like yourselves. So when I have an idea that seems awesome and they're like, yeah, that is not awesome. That is weird. We cannot do that. I got to listen to that, right? But you actually have um, an opportunity to be able to speak and change culture without being rude. You have to be well-read. It cannot just be like, I, that seems like a nerd factory to me. You got to be well-read. You got to know your thing. But I, I think God's calling you to be pioneers to be counterculture. So what makes this different? What makes this difficult? How come not everybody's a pioneer? I think because uh, most of us in our heart of hearts are resistant to change. So like, if you wore watches anymore, this used to work in the 90s when everybody wore a watch. But Do any of you wear a watch? Oh yeah, five of you. Okay, seven, nine, twelve. Change your watch. You know, do the old change your watch to the other. It's hard. It feels weird. No. So we are like we are resistant to change as people, and our and our places are, and I and then I think comfort too. Um, it's comfortable staying how we are. It's comfortable not pushing into new territory. I think of all these people that have come up with scientific and mathematical discoveries, and really, when you read history on it, the long history on it, it tells you that anybody like Galileo was like burned at the stake because he thought because he figured out that we live in a universe. Like most things that are pioneering will lead to pain. Which is why we have to have a very strong theology of suffering. If you believe that the primary reason that God has you on this planet is to make you happy, you'll never be a pioneer. We must understand that if we're going to push into the unknown, it will cost us something, and it's going to hurt. I am the bearer of bad news. It's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you time. It's going to cost you reputation. It's going to cost you everything. And yet, I still think that God calls us to push out into the unknown. Then I think we we don't pioneer because of if and when and then thinking. So by that, I mean this. Right now, you say to yourself, well, I could never do something new because I just got to get through school right now. And if I get, when I get through school, then the Lord will show me what I'm to do. Now, I'm not suggesting at all that you drop out of school, that it's not my suggestion. In fact, let me just give you this tidbit for free. Do you know that with a number one defining... Um, factor is in marriage is working or let me put it to you backwards the negative way the number one defining factor why marriages don't work scientifically anybody know is if you drop out of college or university middle of your college you have an 86 percent chance of getting a divorce 86 percent chance of getting a divorce it is the highest correlated factor of any other factor So, like, I know some of you are like, what? It's not Jesus? Like, if you have Jesus? Listen, many of my friends who love Jesus are getting divorces right now. They loved Jesus, both of them. If I trace it back, and there's a really good book by Tara Pope Parker. It's called The Science of Marriage. Just look up Tara Pope Parker and Marriage. Uh, because it tells, so let me, this might be a prophetic word to some of you that are thinking, I'm just going to finish this one year and forget it, then I'm going to go and try to be a pioneer. Stay in school. Stay in school. It's going to help your marriage. It's going to help your family. And there's all kinds of reasons for it. That's not in my notes either. But if, but let me go back to if and when thinking. So we think, I'll do something good for God when I'm done school. But then you get done school and you, you're getting married. So then I'll, I'll do something for the Lord when I'm done that. And then you have kids and, you, like it's, and then I'll do something when I've done that. And then your kids are going to call. I will do something when. There's if and when. And then all of a sudden you're dead in a coffin. Listen, death is coming faster than you think it is. It's like a freight train. It is like a freight train coming for you. You don't have much time. If I can be the bearer of like 
This is good news, though, because it gets us running. You don't have time to wait around. So I, I would be asking the Lord, what can I do now? What can I do now, given the constraints that I have? Constraints are not a bad thing. Constraints actually propel us to be creative. So you've got the constraints of taking three courses this semester or four courses this semester. God, what could I do in the middle of that? Have you ever had this um, problem? I, I always think when I go away, I'm, if, I could, if I could only get like two or three days where I could work for like 17 hours a day, I would get so much done. I told myself this going coming here this week. And then what happens is you think because you got so much time. Oh, I have time to check Facebook. Oh, I have time to go on Instagram. Oh, I'm going to call my friend that I haven't talked to in a long time. Okay. I'm going to check in on the kids now. This is was my day. I'm giving you my day right now. This is confession time for me. And then all of a sudden it's like midnight and I haven't done anything. It's kind of how we live our lives though. We think, oh, I'm like 19. I got lots of time. There's no rush. Now, I'm not saying that we get, uh, I'm not telling you to go to the other side of the ditch and don't rest and burn yourself out by the time you're 21 and like get all tense. I'm not saying that. But I am saying what the, writers of Hebrew, what the writer of Hebrews said. Get on with it. Get on with it. Ask the Lord. And maybe you get on with it in prayer first, saying, God, what would you want to do differently through my life or in my life? If, when, and then thinking never, uh, never amounts to anything, because you're always going to have an if and when and then. You'll never have enough money to do it. You'll, I, I was on the phone to my friend last night, and she is a multi-millionaire. M- multi, multi, multi-millionaire. And we were talking, and she was saying, uh, she was closing some other deal. And I said to her, at what point, and I'm kind of mocking her a little bit, at what point do you not have enough, like, at what point do you not have enough money? And she said, the, the thing is, you never have enough. And she loves the Lord. She's just telling me how it is. You'll never have enough money. You'll never have enough experience. You'll never have enough wisdom. You'll always feel like you're unqualified. That's just part of life. It's the enemy's trick, though, to get you just like, I, I'll just wait. You'll never feel secure enough. You'll never feel confident enough. I mean, I'm not, I'm not telling you stuff that you probably don't already know. But we just have to get on with it. And that's why the writers of Hebrews says, all right, okay, all these things, all these people, because it's interesting that the hall of faith, the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, it doesn't tell you like the lowlights of all these people's lights. It tells you the highlights and then says they were pioneers and blazed the trail and lied to their brother. And, you know, like, so we just get on with it. So you've got faults. Yeah. You've got weaknesses and blind spots. We all do. Get on with it. And then, uh, and then I think also we just often, I just touched on this as we feel unqualified. It's good that we feel unqualified, though. I told this to somebody last night. We were talking about, like, what happens if I hear the Holy Spirit? And, like, then I, like, go and tell somebody, and it's, like, the worst. And, like, I've done something. Like, like I, you know what my response to that is? Great. Because you know what you're reminding yourself of? You're not God. Like if every time that you hear the voice of God and you like step out, it like, it like works. Do you know what you start to get? Pride. So you just thank God. Every time something doesn't work out, you go, well, that was great. Great. I just remember that I serve God. I'm not God. The worst place you can get into is be like, sort of like nothing can go wrong. Because then you start, then, then we get a little bit of a Lucifer spirit, right? We start to think that we could be. So you've got to step out enough so that you make mistakes. Thank God every time you make a mistake, every time you fall. It's just part of your discipleship. It's God keeping you, reminding you. I, I think we have to regain a pioneering spirit, though, in our movement because the fuel of any movement is a pioneering spirit. Um, I just want to see if I have, I don't know if I have, a, do I have a diagram on this next page? Yes, okay. okay. I told you I always try to bring math. This is called the, cur- the sigmoid curve. Have any of you studied this? Yes, I see that hand. Okay. So the sigmoid curve is a mathematical um, reality. Uh, any organization goes through the sigmoid curve. Okay, so you start at learning and development. Okay, so this would be... Okay, so let, let's just use the Pentecostal movement. Okay, 
This is Pentecostal school. It's okay if we use it. This, the learning and development was like William Seymour with one eye, the one-eyed preacher who preached with the bag on. We were learning, and we were weird. It was good. And, but then there was massive growth. We saw thousands of people. If you look at the history of Pentecostalism, you can see the massive amounts of growth that is still occurring in many places in the world, not so much in North America anymore. But then what happens is every single organization goes through this. Every single, they peak. So they, they peak and like, there's like a stagnant time. Every church goes through this, every school, every denomination. I mean, the sigmoid curve is just, a, it's kind of like gravity. It just happens. It doesn't matter what you do. And then what happens is rapid decline happens. And we, you know, we can point to things like, uh, more mainline churches. This has happened, learning and development growth. They hit their peak. And now those churches, if you go to them, it's all gray haired people and they're beginning to decline in many parts of Canada. They're selling off those churches because they can't keep them opened anymore. Now, this is not just true of churches though. This is true of every organization, the sigmoid curve. It's just true. So uh, business theorists began to ask the question, what do we do about that? And what they found is that when an organization gets to a peak, what needs to happen is there needs to be a new birthing of something. I want to suggest that as a movement, the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada sits right in here at peak or maybe even decline. We're right in that the top of that sigmoid curve, which means that we are going to need people like you who have a new vision, a new idea. We cannot just go back. What the, what the sigmoid curve tells us is that we can't just go back and tweak things. Like, we'll just make a little tweak here. We won't do announcements anymore. We will wear jeans with holes in them now. That's not going to help us. Death is still coming for us. We need people who will categorically begin to think about it differently. And I want to suggest that the best people to do that are the people sitting in this room today. We actually need to have a re-envisioning of who we are and what we are. So we need to regain our way. I want to just show you, though, just right in here. I think there's an, is there another little slide. Yeah. Okay. Right in here, though, in this little section, all the business theorists tell us that there's major doubt and uncertainty that happens here. Why? Uh, because we're not sure if it's going to work because it's new. So let me just say to you off the top, if you really are going to do this Hebrews chapter 12, like be a pioneer and get on with it, you're going to have doubt and uncertainty. It's, it's natural and normal. Don't decide, I can't do it because I have so much doubt. Um, my husband says that I am famous for talking myself out of things. So like I have this idea to do something and then I'm like, ah, no, because nobody will ever, you know, just I think we're all pretty good at that. You're going to have that section of doubt and uncertainty, which is why you're going to need people around you who will say to you, yes, you can do it. Keep going. You, you've, got, you've got to try something new. Come on now. You can get, you. We have to have a very good and developed idea about friendships. If you don't have friends that can cheer you on in that doubt and uncertainty, then we die. No pressure. <laughs> no pressure at all. But we are going to have doubt and uncertainty and the doubt and uncertainty we embrace. God is not afraid of your doubt. He's not afraid of your questions. He's not afraid of your problem. He, he actually des- like God designed this curve. You know what? I think God designed it because I think otherwise older folks would just carry on and keep you being like, but now actually we're standing in the middle of our thing going, no, we need you. Please come up with something new now, or we're going to die. God designed it. It's the passing of the baton. Now, truthfully, uh, the stats tell us that most organizations don't make the leap. 
most organizations just die. But some do. And I, 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 the church of Jesus Christ is going on. We know that. But why not? But why not us? Why, why can't we make that leap? I'm going to invite the band to come back. I want to talk just to you about... I want you to know this, that God has uniquely gifted you for a time like this. You're here. I love that verse in Acts that says he knew the time and locations that we were to be born and placed. Often what you perceive as weaknesses are the very seedbed that God uses for you. So like, and you see this biblically, like Abram was called the father of many nations and he and Sarah were barren. Have you ever thought about that for a second? Like that was weird. Like God gave them that and they were barren. Okay, Um, Moses, he was going to talk Pharaoh into letting the people go, but he couldn't talk. Paul was an evangelizer to the world, and he was a persecutor and a killer of Christians. Timothy was young, called to grow a movement that prized maturity and elders. It's like what God does. He takes our weaknesses, and this is what Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 9 to 11, when he said, my grace is sufficient for you. This is God speaking to Paul. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So some of you feel very unqualified. Great. You feel barren. Like, great. He's father of many nations feel like you have no ability to speak. You are like me and cannot call dominoes. And then God asks you to full-time put a microphone in your hand. Like this, These are the things that God does. You're not qualified. You're not from the right family. You're not from the right heritage. I don't know all those words. Great. You're exactly the kind of person God wants to use. The world is counting on you. The world is counting on you. So ask the Lord of the harvest to give you a plan to be a pioneer. Get on with it. I like in the scripture that it says, um, don't feel sorry for yourself. The message version says that. Because it's really easy, I think, particularly in this society right now, uh, because we're aware of some of the psychological ramifications of things that have happened to us. Um, It's easy. It's really easy. I mean, any of us could paint a woeful picture of our lives and how we were mistreated and how I don't know, bad things have happened to us. Yes, they have. I acknowledge, listen, and that's not an unacknowledging pain that you've been through. But I once was talking to a little girl that came to our church. She was 12. Her dad was um, in and out of jail. They always had the SWAT team. At the, like, they would have birthday parties and the SWAT team would come. Not like to be part of the party. Just like... <laughs> Mom and dad would be like bagging cocaine. Eight-year-olds would be having birth. Okay, so she was from horrible, horrible background. And um, particularly one year, um, she wasn't doing very well in school, and she was part of our little group, and I was talking with our leadership team, and I said, I think we need to give her a let. She's had some really hard things happen. I think we just need to say it's okay. And this little girl is fierce as anybody you've ever met in your life. I told her, I said to her, honey, Talon, we're going to let you, um, we're going to let you stay in the program. You need to sort of pull up your socks. And she came face to face with me. Like this child was the kind to carry brass knuckles with her. She said to me, don't you feel sorry for me. Because if I was from some great family, you kick my, and she didn't use that word. You kick my butt out of this program in five seconds. Don't you feel sorry for me. Because when you feel sorry for me, you're saying that what Jesus did for me wasn't enough. Kick my butt out. So we did. I will never forget that because I thought, I, I think sometimes we handicap ourselves. We handicap ourselves because we want, because in the moment, it's easy to have people feel sorry for you. But the long-term trajectory of people feeling sorry for you is disabled. You're disabled. You can't do anything. Square your shoulders back. Put your chin up. I don't care what you've been through. 
if God can take broken down little kids and turn them into lawyers and doctors, God can certainly take your life and make you a pioneer in his kingdom. We don't have time to feel sorry for ourselves, ladies and gentlemen. People are going to hell. We got to come back to a theological reckoning with that idea. If we don't reckon with that idea, it doesn't give us any urgency. Jesus is coming back. We do not have time to get in the fetal position and stay there. Psalm 23 tells us, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It doesn't say I pitch a tent in the valley of the shadow of death and I feel sorry for myself for the next 25 years and tell myself that I could never do anything because of what happened to me. Now, I'm not negating your pain, but God will use it if you let him. Remember who you are. That you are a child of God. And like the biblical heroes that have come before us, he calls you to go on with him. Don't give up. Discipline yourself. Train yourself. Decide that like Paul, you will beat your body and make it obedient to Jesus. Every thought take captive. We don't have time to play around. God is here. Would you stand with me this morning? all over the place. I I want you to begin to ask the Lord, God, how would you have me, how would you have me step out and be a pioneer for the things of your kingdom? Some of you here have wild ideas that you haven't shared with anybody and you're not really even sure how God will use them. That's okay. Just begin to say, God, I'm open to you uh, calling me to be a pioneer. Some of you have been inactive because you've lived with if and when. Just begin to repent of that. Say, God, I'm willing to for you to use me right here, right now. Some of you have, have allowed yourself to be victimized. Just right now, just say, God, I, I'm praying that you'd take me from victim to victor. I, I'm praying that you'd use all my pain. I give all my pain all the ways I've been mistreated, all the ways that I've been done wrong, I give it all to you now and ask that you would use it for your glory and for your honor. And Jesus, I pray now, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would birth new dreams. You'd birth new ideas. God, you'd help us to be brave and courageous for your kingdom. God, I pray that we would be, we would be just undone by the unreached people that need to be reached with your, with your gospel. God, we're going to give you all the glory and all the honor and all the praise in Jesus' name.